Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. Well, it feels good. Uh, you know, it's preparation is a big part of this game. You know, you, you got to spend time together, I think. But uh, we're, we're fortunate that we had almost 100% turnout. And uh, we, we, we got better each day. We did a lot of strategic things to focus on every day, and we got better. So I'm, I'm very happy with that. And the, the closing message is uh, going to be personal. You know, we don't talk about the things we say in team meetings, but uh, the expectations are rising now. You know, we, we proved that we can compete in the AFC West. You know, we proved we can win on the road. And now we've got to prove we can uh, win at a much higher level. And uh, we got a great schedule. We've got a very difficult st- schedule open the season. So be smart with your time and, and uh, continue to train like a champion. That's Raiders head coach John Gruden uh, speaking to the media on Wednesday, talking about rising expectations, a championship work ethic, uh, closing out games, um, thinking bigger. And if there's a theme that came out of Raiders OTAs, which concluded this week uh, with the uh, three-day mandatory minicamp, is that expectations are real, and they're growing, and they're legitimate, and they're genuine. And obviously, um, you know, it's all talk until you get on the field and prove it. But remember when I told you guys and have told you guys that even at the Raiders' highest point last year, when they were 6-3, and three, just talking to some people behind the scenes, people that know, you could draw your own conclusions. And even at that point, when it looked good, when they were sitting at 6-3 and three and the playoffs seemed within reach, the message consistently consistently was lots of work needs still needs to be done a lot of work needs to be done got to figure out got to get better on the uh, defensive line got to create more turnovers got to do better on third down it's not quite there yet there was a self-awareness even when everyone was heaping accolades on the Raiders oh they're six and three oh they've got a favorable schedule coming up Oh, they're gonna they're they they are going to make a legit run at the playoffs. While all that talk was happening on the outside, from the inside, not so fast. Lots of work that still needs to be done. It was an honesty. It was like I said, a self awareness. There were no delusions that the Raiders were better than they, what they were. In fact, there was um, an awareness and an understanding that. This is great being six and three, but it doesn't change the fact that a lot of work still needs to be done. I told you guys that at the time. I've repeated it during this offseason, uh, and that was happening in real time. Sometimes behind the scenes, you kind of get a better feel for things and an idea for things and a little bit more honesty. You know, you know, it's part of what we do uh, in the media, and it doesn't always show up in quotes by, you know, people and there's no blaring headlines. It's called kind of getting the background, kind of getting the feel for things in, you know, uh, behind the scenes a little bit. And a lot of times it's a more honest and frank uh, assessment, you know. Um, but I say that to say this. 
while there was that self-awareness last year, even at the highest moments, the highest peaks, the same could be said now. And there is a growing confidence behind the scenes. There is a, an acknowledgement that the infrastructure is in place. The talent is on hand to make this a pretty special year. I'm not saying that they're thinking that they're going to win the Super Bowl or anything like that. If you're a professional athlete, you always have to think along the highest terms, right? So everybody's goal is to win the Super Bowl. You don't approach a season without that, like, obviously being something that you're shooting for. But, you know, you, you, you're also – there's also an honesty, a, a self-awareness. And, um, you know, so you, you have to – you know, when you're, when you're really looking at yourself in the mirror, you have to be honest about it. And the honest answer that I'm getting now is – and the sense is the Raiders feel like they – all that work that they were talking about last year that needed to be done, some of the areas that they needed to get strengthened and uh, areas where they needed to get better, there's a quiet and a growing confidence that they were able to do just that. And they've put themselves in a much better position th this year. And therefore, the expectations, forget about outside. That's not what John Gruden was talking about. John Gruden wasn't saying the expectations are rising for the Raiders on the outside. In fact, if you were to talk to a lot of national pundits, there aren't that the, the expectations for the Raiders aren't, you know, all that all that high. It would be a surprise to people outside of Henderson if the Raiders made a serious run at the playoffs. But not that any of that matters because it doesn't. What matters is how they feel about themselves inside the building. And from the coaching staff to players that I've talked to, there is a an awareness of something special can happen this year. By the way, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. It's a Friday, another hot Friday here in Las Vegas. Um, you're brought to you by uh, Tequila Embajador. We want your calls, 702-365-9200, whatever questions you might have, whatever thoughts you might have. Um, you know, if you're listening and, and you want to chime in about what I'm talking about right now, um, feel free, 702-365-9200. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm done this a long time, and there's power in words. And a lot of times, like I said, it's not so much what you see on Zoom and what, what's going on there, although, you know, guys are being honest, no question about it. But, you know, they're in front of cameras, and they know the whole world is, is listening. Um, a lot of times what you're getting is kind of cookie cutter type things and, uh, you know, not trying to uh, create headlines and, and that sort of stuff. It's more behind the scenes where, you know, if you have a good relationship and, and, and do your job uh, correctly and develop um, a sense of, of trust, you're going to hear the real deal. And, you know, I kept saying this last year. There were no delusions. There were no, um, you know, oh, uh, the Raiders are there. We've made it. Like that's not the message that was coming from the Raiders, even at six and three. It was more, gosh darn. You know, there's some there's some problems here. You know, got to get those fixed. But they also understood that getting it fixed during the season, it's just too much. During the season, you you gotta you gotta you gotta play with what you have. Basically, you're not going to be able to really make a big move to address some major needs during the season. Can guys get better? Yes. Can you get healthier? Of course. Um, can you do some things schematically to help out? Yeah. But when it's a glaring problem, uh, especially as it relates to talent and maybe 
uh, guys that just aren't quite ready. That's hard to do during the season. It's something that and we've talked about this. Sometimes you've got to put it off to next year. That's why uh, I know fans, you know, um, get caught up in the moment and angry and frustrated when things aren't happening. The first thing that they want to talk about is fire everybody, get rid of everybody. It's not, that's not always the right thing to do sometimes. And the good organizations understand this. Sometimes you kind of, you get as much work that you can get done by the time the next season rolls around, but you go into that season. If you're again, self-aware, like, Hey, this is what we have to, these are our strengths these are our weaknesses. This is what we kind of have to coach around. This is what we're going to have to mask. Um, this is what we're going to have to, uh, you know, be able to overcome. We're going to be able to ride this. This is good right here, but this not so good right here. And we're going to have to work around it. We're going to have to, as coaches, try to manage it and mitigate it. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't because rest assured, that team on the other side of the field that scoured over film, breaking it down, understanding just as much as you do where you are, what do you think they're going to see? What do you think that they want to see? Number one, if you're the other team's defense, you want to figure out um, what is it that we have to stop? Who do we have to stop? But you're also looking at who do we attack on the offensive line? Who do we get after to get to the quarterback? So you're you're looking at the other team's strengths and their weaknesses as an offensive coordinator. When you're looking at the other team's defense, you're looking at who do we got to block? Who do we have to be aware of every single down and try to stay away from and just handle that dude? But also, where's the weak links on the defense? Who do we attack? Who do we go after? Who do we make that other team pay for lining him up against one of our better players? Or how are we going to structure our offense and our packages in order to create the most favorable matchups so one of our better players is being defended by one of their weakest players? So, you know, while you try to kind of mask your weaknesses, while you try to kind of coach around your weaknesses, invariably the other team is going to know what your weaknesses are and they're going to go right after it as many times as they possibly can. And if you look at, you know, um, what the Raiders did last year and how teams were able to kind of chew it up, it's not too difficult to figure out how they were able to do that. Number one, they were operating against a, a pass rush that was very, very, that was one of the worst in the NFL. Um, and as a result of that, you you know, there's young cornerbacks, young secondary members that probably weren't ready to be able to to handle a, 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 that steep of an assignment where you don't have a lot of help from your defensive line. So you're going to have to be like really, really good in terms of defending people for really, really long stretches of time. That's going to there's a breaking point. There always is uh, with that. So um you know, and, and from the Raiders building, they're looking at that and seeing exactly what everybody else is seeing. So they knew what they needed to address. Wasn't able to do it during the season. Again, you coach around that. But off season, that's where you start shoring it all up. And I think the combination of what the Raiders were able to do in free agency, getting in Ngakwe, getting Quentin Jefferson, getting Solomon Thomas, uh, getting Darius Phylon, 
being able to help that defensive line get better, get deeper. What does Gus Bradley keep talking about? Coming at people with waves. The Raiders couldn't do that last year, but they're in a much better position to, to do that this year. You start adding it all up. Unique Ngakwe, Max Crosby, Cleve Farrell, Carl Nassib, who actually looked pretty good during OTAs. Maybe Malcolm Kuntz, the rookie from Buffalo. Inside, Quinton Jefferson. Solomon Thomas, Jonathan Hankins, Darius Phylon. We're starting to name a bunch of players here, aren't we? Weren't able to do that last year. And just like John Gruden, you know who you didn't name? Who's that? I know you were talking about the pass rush there, but you didn't name Damon Arnett. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I talked about that on Wednesday. I talked about that on – I wrote about it on Wednesday, and I talked about it on Wednesday, how conspicuous it's been. Um, Well, first of all, let's back up. Number one, Casey Hayward talking about how he wants to stay on the outside. Um, And – as of right now, I have to. You have to consider him the starter, and that's a good thing. He's a good player. But what does that mean for Damon Arnett? What did I say last week when I was, uh, you know, when you when you start realizing, okay, it seems like Casey Hayward's going to be the guy on the outside. Do a little detective work. All right, texting. So what if maybe Arnett moves inside, kind of follows the same path that Casey Hayward followed, um, you know, earlier on in his career. Damon Arnett played some inside uh, at Ohio State. Uh, what about the possibility of moving Damon Arnett inside right now and then eventually replacing Casey Hayward? Casey Hayward's getting up there in age. He's got a short shelf life, only on a one-year contract. So is that possible? Eh. If I could sum up the reaction to that question, eh. Mm. Eh. not so sure about that. So then I'm thinking, all right. Uh, that doesn't sound too good for Damon Arnett. And we talked about that. And then I wrote about it when John Gruden spoke on uh, Wednesday about how Casey Hayward's not going to just give up his job. And I think we all kind of looked at each other going, okay, it sounds like Casey Hayward's got that job. What does that mean for Damon Arnett? Well, based on the detective work that I did earlier in that week, it doesn't look like moving inside is in the cards for Damon Arnett. Sounds like there's some skepticism. This is what I wrote, some skepticism within the Raider organization that he could pull that off. Lo and behold, we end up talking to Gus Bradley. Hey, I even asked the question, what's the deal in the slot? How's that? Do we have a better definition for the slot for you guys? Well, you know, uh, hey, Nevin Lawson, the veteran, you kind of figure uh, at this stage of his career, at least in terms of getting it and understanding it, um, he's in the best position right now of, of that. So if you were going to pencil in a starter, it might be Nevin Lawson, although he's going to be suspended for the first couple of games. So they're waiting, if he holds on to that job, you know, they're going to have to work around that. But then, but then Gus Bradley starts talking about, you know, Amik Robertson, Mentioned Amik Robertson, the fourth-round pick last year from Louisiana Tech. But then he's like, but man, the guy that's really impressed us is Nate Hobbs, the rookie from Illinois. A week earlier, maybe two weeks earlier, Trayvon Mullen, the veteran cornerback on, on the other side, when we asked him, hey, who among the young players has impressed you? Nate Hobbs, <laughs> the guy from Illinois. That dude comes to practice every day ready to work. He, he, he practices well. He's prepared. 
you know. So Gus Bradley mentioned a bunch of defensive backs, never once mentioned Damon Arnett's name. I, I, I wrote this. It's a story that's coming out on Sunday, kind of uh, wraps up the whole mini camp. But I went back and looked. I literally went back and looked at all the transcripts to see, was Damon Arnett's name ever mentioned by the coaches, teammates, whatever? Nope, not one time. Now, having said all that, because I'm getting bombarded on Twitter about it, what does that mean for Damon Arnett? Well, as of right now, the Raiders are putting pressure on Damon Arnett to respond. There's work that he needs to do. Will he? Won't he? That's up to Damon Arnett right there. Uh, somebody asked, you know, are they going to just cut ties with them? I, I find that hard to believe. That's that's giving up this early on a first-round pick. Uh, I don't think so. I think right now what they're doing is challenging him, putting the pressure on him. That's what I wrote uh, earlier this week. He's on notice, and it's going to be up to him to respond. Uh, but, you know, you know what's – when you're able to do that confidently instead of when you're, like, coddling a guy, it's when you know you have <laughs> – coverage for it. Casey Hayward. That's okay. They're like, okay, I mean, if Damon's ready to go, he's ready to go. That would be great. But if he isn't, yeah, Casey Hayward, we're good. We're, we'll be all right. And we drafted a bunch of other guys that we like too. So, you know, that's what might be, if you're, if you're looking for a difference right now between the Raiders now and the Raiders the last couple of years, and we've talked about this, and John Gruden mentioned it like it's going to be the best guy wins. That's it. It doesn't matter where you're drafted. It's not matter, doesn't matter what you're getting paid. It doesn't matter what your clout is. It doesn't matter any of that. And he, you can say that more confidently when you know that we've got some ball players now. We've got some depth right now. If you're John Gruden and you're Gus Bradley, you've already kind of seen now. That's why, again, I keep going back to this. That's why OTAs are so important, and especially for the Raiders. Don't forget, last year, there were no OTAs. It was literally everybody showed up the first day of training camp, did like a five days of conditioning or something like that before they were even able to get on the field. Then they were able to get on the field. And the ramp-up period. Remember the ramp-up period? And then, oh, put the pads on now, finally. That was the first time John Gruden and his staff got a chance to see their whole team. And David Arnett was the day one starter at, at cornerback. Prince Akamura, who they had signed, he just, you know, he was over there on the sidelines standing around watching around watching around a lot. And to be to be honest, I thought David Arnett looked good in that setting. But then there were obviously some setbacks, and uh, he 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 didn't come back the same guy. And you know, at the time I wrote about it, and we talked about it on the radio last year, when he came back, I'll never forget seeing him that first time back on the field after nine weeks. And I just remember looking, I'm going, "Wow, this guy looks completely different. He just wasn't as strong, wasn't as big, um, you know." And that's that that wasn't necessarily his fault because you know he couldn't get in the weight room consistently. But saying all that, I, I I don't think this is the end of the line. I'd be shocked if this was the end of the line for Damon Arnett. Sometimes you got to poke and prod a little bit and fire some people up. Damon Arnett's got talent. He can play football. But there's not going to be any gimmies. And we talked about this, how 
a year ago, the, might, the Raiders might have been thinking more about development than, than that might have been higher on the list of things. Not anymore. They want to win football games, and it's going to be the best players that prove that in practice and in training camp. That's who's going to play on, on Sundays because they want to win football games. Hey, development, so be it. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur. Give us a call, 702-365-9200. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. We're going to go right out to the Raider Nation listener line. Justin wants to talk about the starting secondary. Well, how are you doing, Justin? Hey, Vinny. Happy Friday, brother. What's going on? Is it beer 30 yet? Uh, it's, it's about, what time is it right now? Four, it's about, we're about, um, eight, 90 minutes away from that. Uh, if that, if up. that. <laughs> gotcha. gotcha. Hey, uh, I was going to ask you about the secondary, but you kind of just covered it before the break. Uh, just want to touch on our net real quick. And then I have a question for you about Hobbs. Um, you know, just from the, uh, outsider looking in the optics really don't look good on our net. I, I know it's, it's too quick to judge a guy after a year. I definitely don't think they should release him or trade him or anything like that. Definitely give him every single opportunity he can to start and to, you know, make a difference on this team. Um, and I'm not saying the player has to be posting. I love Raiders. I'm working out every single day on social media. That's not a prerequisite, but you know, he had his, his rap career going on and then it doesn't appear that he came into, uh, into OTAs and to minicamp in the shape that they wanted him to. And uh, I read that uh, athletic article that came out um, on him today and and just other stuff about him not looking, you know, ready to go essentially. And I know it's early. I know it's still June and whatnot. But, you know, first-round picks like that, you definitely want those to be the leaders of your team and the guys setting the example for everybody else and not the, not the guys that, you know, you're kind of waiting on to, to figure out if they're going to get it or not. Um, anyways, that's my two cents on that. And as far as uh, the Hobbs kid, I've heard from the pressers, uh, coaches, a couple players even, you know, specifically mentioning the kid's name. I'm just curious if uh, what you've seen on the practice field, if he really is standing out so far. Uh, a couple of things on Arnett. I thought he looked um, he looked bigger and stronger uh, to me. But what was what was conspicuous? His body looked different than what it was at the end of the season, and that's understandable. He was able to kind of get more into the weight room and and you know uh, work work on things. But what was what was conspicuous when you would watch the DBs? He did a lot of standing around and watching, um, kind of observing. And I thought was thinking to myself, okay, well maybe they're just trying to let him watch it so that he can understand it a, a little bit better. But, you know, as the days went on, it was just, it just was a little bit conspicuous. It's hard to read anything uh, into that. You know, you don't want to read something into it that it's not, but it definitely went into the brain, you know, like I was like, okay, that's, that, that looks a, a little bit different. Then, you know, some of what uh, I was talking about earlier with, well, hey, maybe can he move to the slot cornerback position and just the, the general skepticism, uh, in the response back, I felt like, okay, 
they're not really feeling too good about that, about moving Damon Arnett there. So, okay, where does that leave Damon Arnett? And so that's where we kind of are. I do think that they're trying to push some buttons. I think they're in a better position to do that because they do have Casey Hayward and they feel like they have some players that are going to be able to man that slot position. So they're not in any kind of a desperation mode to play Damon Arnett or anybody else just because they drafted him in the first round. There's not going to be any gimmies right now. Uh, and that that's a good thing. That's a sign of strength. Um uh, you know, otherwise they would just play them because they kind of have to, uh, and they and they want to try to justify the pick and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, w- we'll see where that goes. And nobody's, you know, like I saw the rap album and everything like that. And and I I go back to when Sha- Shaquille O'Neal was doing all the off season stuff that he was doing. And I remember talking to Phil Jackson about that when he was the head coach of the Lakers. He's like, look, I'll worry about that when he's not scoring thirty five points a game, grabbing sixteen rebounds. You know what I'm saying? Like like if you're able to do everything and still produce, who cares what you're doing? off the court right but that's that's Shaq and Shaq exactly exactly I hear what you're saying brother but like at the same time there is an expectation that comes with first rounders and you know where you know we've had the Cleveland Farrell argument before and and I think you I think you definitely have a great argument on that but you know no no no. what what I'm saying is no but he's saying if you're not an all pro you can't have fun in the offseason I'm gonna I'm I'm, uh, that's not what we're saying either um but I actually agree with you, Justin. I, I think like like I don't know, you know, like if you you could do whatever you want, but this is a grown up world here. Your main job, you have to perform in your main job. It doesn't. Matter. I don't care what you do on the off in the in the in the in the off season, um, and neither do the Raiders as long as it's you know obviously legal and all that kind of stuff. Um, but you have to perform, and if you and if you don't perform. If you're not ready to go, if you're not ready to play, if you're not living up to the expectations, the first thing everyone's going to look at, and rightfully so, is, well, what are you putting enough time into it? And that's just the way the world works. And if you don't like it, I, I don't know what to tell you. You know, I, it's it's you have to perform. That's your primary function. You're getting paid a lot of money to do that. There's expectations that um, exist. And I'm not blaming anything on on whatever it is that he does, uh, you know, in the off season. Uh, but it's it's gonna get brought up if he doesn't perform. That's just the way the world way, works. There's plenty of guys, plenty of guys. I mean, you, if you want to know what Kobe Kobe Bryant was able to balance everything in the off season with also getting better all the time, there's there's a balance that exists. But if you're paying, if it if it's if it's unbalanced, that's going to show on the field at this level. I'll tell you that right now, brother. You're going to get exposed if you're not putting in the necessary work, uh, you know, in your off time and balancing off time and fun time correctly. The good ones know how to do that, and it's on Damon Arnett to kind of get himself back on track here because um, right now it looks like he's fallen behind. Now he's got a lot of time left to 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 get it figured out, and I think right now the Raiders are kind of prodding him a little bit. We'll see if he responds. The good ones do. Like like Derek Carr was telling me about, you know, Henry Ruggs. He's like, look, something uh, 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 something clicked in his head, as it does often for first year players who now have a year to look back on and film to look on, and and uh, now can say, okay, I get it. This is what you have to do at this level to get better. And Derek was, the good ones do. The bad ones don't. That's just how it works. This is the real world. And he said, it looked like, it sure looks like, uh, you know, Henry said, I'm going to be one of those guys that do. I'm going to be one of, the, one of those guys that heeds all the recommendations and see what I need to work on and work on it and get better at it. Maybe Damon Arnett is like that. Maybe he isn't. We'll see. But nobody's going to be crying. Nobody's going to be, that train's going to keep 
rolling down the, uh, the, the, the tracks with him or without him. And it's up to him uh, to catch up. Real quick, we're going to go out to uh, uh, BP Well wants to talk about strength and conditioning coach involvement. How you doing, BP Well? Up, BP Well has. Well, that's uh, perfect. We can get to our He's guest. hung up on us. Uh, that's okay because uh, we're going to go out to uh, the Raider Nation guest line and welcome in our very good friend, uh, a colleague of mine, uh, and he works over at ESPN. He covers the Raiders and many other things and does it at a, a very very high level. Uh, Paul Gutierrez, you can follow him at P Gutierrez ESPN. How you doing, Paul? I'm good. Man. I'm doing better than BT Well, who's BT gone. So uh, <laughs> I know it may, I'm maybe just the trying to stay trying to stay cool in this heat. I'm actually back up in Northern California, and it's uh, uh, triple digits here as well. So it's uh, all over the place. But it, it's interesting. Like yeah, I caught the end of that conversation about guys wanting to do things off the field in their off seasons. And, and you know, you're right. There is a balance. It's the yin and yang of life, right? You, anything falls out of balance, that whole thing falls apart. And um, you know. The bottom line, in my opinion, and what you know, you and I have been doing this in this business a long time, and in talking to people, it's not just performing; it's producing and it's yes. doing things at that high level. And that's why the Bo Jacksons, the Deion Sanders, the the Brian Jordans, those guys are playing two sports at high levels and and excelling and and being able to get away with it. And yet, you know, there's always a negative to it too. So, it, it, the bottom line is, yeah, you can have some fun, but don't forget what your day job is and what puts you in position to have that fun. Right, exactly. And, um, you know, we mentioned Shaquille. Obviously, it's Shaquille. But, you know, w- what I said about Phil Jackson is like, I'll, I'll worry about what he does off the court. I'll worry about the rap albums and the movies and all that if he's not averaging 35 and 16, you know, uh, and five every single night. Like, it obviously doesn't affect uh, him on, on the court. Whether it's affecting Damon or not, we don't know. And, um, I know you noticed the same thing. We talked to the same people. Um, obviously, Gus Bradley didn't mention his name. Neither did John Gruden. No one we talked to among the players uh, on Zoom, you know, really ever had much to say about Damon. It looked kind of weird and conspicuous. He was doing a lot of watching <laughs> during OTAs yeah. uh, for some reason. But from your perspective, and I haven't really talked to you about this, um, what do you think is going on with Damon Arnett? Well, I mean, it's it's and it's kind of what you referenced with with Henry Ruggs. What what uh, Derek Carr told you about him too is that for a lot of these guys, the light either goes on or it doesn't, and you you see it as it goes on. You know, and, and when you look at last year's draft class, this is basically their rookie year 2.0 because they didn't have any off season program. They just showed up and started playing. And a lot of these guys, it showed. It showed with Damon Arnett especially. Now, big physical corner. That's what they liked. That's what they wanted. But it was, it was stunning last year to see the lack of form tackling technique. Uh, he was knocking himself out of games because he was leading with his head. He was getting penalties, things like that. And maybe that's what this offseason is for him, um, that it is a, truly a learning period. And the Raiders didn't mention him by name, by design. It did look like he was just doing a lot of milling around, watching things. And, uh, you know, the fact that John Gruden name drops Hobbs, in the middle of all that, when he says, I don't care who plays, I don't care if it's Nate Hobbs, I don't care if it's this guy, that guy, the other guy, he basically is, is sending out a warning flare to these guys. It doesn't matter where you were drafted. You got to go out there and produce and perform and show that you belong here. Um, you know, glass being half full kind of a thing. Maybe that's what this is for Damon Arnett is that, look, just sit back, enjoy, quote unquote, enjoy your first real off season where we can get our hands on you and teach you and learn and you'll be able to get some things done. And then once training camp comes, then you take the gloves off, so to speak, and you go from there. 
Could we make a case here too that uh, it's a lot easier to be able to um, whether you whether we're talking about tough love or whether you're like like you mentioned you know maybe maybe he's on a uh, a development track right now uh, where there's watching and learning and and all of that uh, and that's a it's, it's an excellent point uh, but could we make the argument that the Raiders are in a better position now to do that because. They've got Casey Hayward. They've got Douglas. They've got maybe they found a gem in Nate Hobbs. Like they like they feel like they're 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 operating at a much more uh, uh, level of, of strength. It's not just handing Damon Arnett the starting job because he's the 19th pick overall last year and got to get you know uh, got to get him on the development track. They're trying to win games. They feel like that position is covered with or without Damon Arnett. And to me, that's kind of a sign of progress almost in a weird sort of a way. Yeah, and that, that's one way to look at it. And, and if you, you those guys you mentioned, what is the common thread with all of them? They've had an off-season program before. Casey yep. Hayward is an established starter in the NFL who knows this defense. You know, this is Casey Hayward playing the role of Richard Sherman, which I thought Richard Sherman would be that guy, and, and maybe some others did as well, to come in, teach these guys not only the defense, but how to be a pro. That's taking care of your body. That's taking care of your, your stuff off the field. That's learning how to tackle without leading with your head so that you're taking care of your body and you can keep playing and you can stay on the field. Because last year, remember, in training camp, what was the buzzword? It was the best ability is availability. And that was thrown all over Jonathan Abram. Now that Abram label is kind of getting thrown at, at Damon Arnett. We'll see how they each respond to that. But but you're right. I mean, with Casey Hayward there and, and Trayvon Mullen with another year under his belt and, and uh, you know, Amik Robertson fall, kind of falls in that same boat because everybody thought by now he would have locked up that nickel slot, right? And uh, it just hasn't happened yet. But again, this is his first true off-season program, just like Damon Arnett, just like Henry Ruggs. Absolutely. And we're talking to Paul Gutierrez from uh, ESPN. You can follow him at P. Gutierrez, uh, ESPN. Uh, one thing that, that I saw uh, it, during OTAs and, and minicamp, especially when Unique and Gawkway showed up, and especially when Quentin Jefferson showed up, the defensive line, um, you know, whether it works on the field, obviously that remains to be seen. But it definitely looks different <laughs> right now compared to yeah. at any point last year. Um, it looks deeper. It looks more talented. Max Crosby it looks like he's in great shape. Um, they're you know, I, I think the the work that the Raiders put into that position showed up in in minicamp. What's your perspective of what really is a critical part of Gus Bradley's defense and, and the Raiders needing to get to the quarterback more than they did last year? Well, I think number one is it's a mentality, right? And you know, we've been around this organization long enough to remember Al Davis running this thing, and when Al Davis's dic- uh, you know dictation to the defense was the quarterback within the first series, the quarterback must go down, he must go down hard. This is kind of a callback to that where you can just throw in waves of guys and keep going. And Gus Bradley mentioned that, that he wants to have two or three lines that in his defense could serve as a first-team line, and whether it's a run defense or a pass defense. Um, it's real interesting to me that Cleveland Furl was another guy whose name was not really uttered much at all, and I did ask Gus about him uh, when we are talking. And it, it, or actually, I asked uh, Unique Ngakwe about him. And uh, it was interesting the way he saw him as kind of like a, a guy that's going to contribute. Uh, do you want to say that about a guy who was a number four overall draft pick? No, <laughs> right. but then you look at what Max Crosby became much later in the draft, and he's now your guy. So all these things kind of even out in the wash. Um, you do wish you would have gotten that, that game changer at number four, but it is what it is. And, and to me, what Gus Bradley said, the, the truest thing he may have said was that for the defense, in general, it's a race to maturity. 
And as soon as these guys mature, that's when they're actually going to click. That's when they're going to get it, especially on that defensive line. When you got just an army of guys that just keep coming at you and coming at you and coming at you, it, uh, it it's going to be interesting to see how many of these guys stay healthy and how many of these guys make the roster because, you know, we're already at that part of the offseason where we're working on our preseason previews. I'm not going to have a lot of fun trying to trying to figure out and predict uh, a defensive line because there's so many guys that can contribute and have contributed in the past. It's so weird you should say that because my literally my next question was, who do you think the starting line defensive line is going to be? If you were to, and, and I know it's only June 18th, but and I swear to you, that's the that was my next question because uh, you mentioned Clee and you know the, the, Max Crosby, Yannick Ngakwe, Clee Farrell. Those are the three prominent defensive ends on this team now. How do you see that shaking out? I mean, do you think that like I think Clee's going to start, and I think Unique and Max are going to share the load, and they're going to utilize them all over the place and on the field together, sometimes replacing each other. But how do you think the defensive line, especially the, that defensive end positions, will play out? Well, you know, Hankins is going to get one of those interior starting jobs. Yes, and I'm not sure who that other is. Is it going to be Solomon Thomas? Um, do they show a different look? Because again, we're talking about a guy who was a, an architect of, of the Legion of Boom, right? Yep. And now mm-hmm. those weren't big monsters up front. The Legion of Boom, because of their coverage skills and, and the fear they put into receivers going across the middle, helped out the defensive line. And, and it works both ways, obviously. I, I would not be shocked if you saw both Crosby and Ngakwe starting on the outside and you saw Hankins and they throw Cleland inside just to mix it up. Um, you know, is, is, is he big enough to play one of the D tackles, a, a three technique? I, I, I don't think so. I don't know. Not, not four down, not three downs anyways, but it would be interesting to see him just to take advantage of his athleticism down low, especially if that secondary can buy enough time for, for the defensive line to, to get through and, and create a little bit of havoc. Um, that to me is kind of the bold prediction right now is that that would be the starting defensive line, uh, Max. Crosby, uh, Jonathan Hankins, Cleef Earl, and and, and Gawkway. Um, again, don't 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 take, don't go to the casino with that. But that's kind of my bold prediction right here, right now. I like it. I like it a lot. And we're talking to Paul Gutierrez from uh, ESPN. You can follow him at P Gutierrez uh, ESPN. Uh, on the other side of the ball, uh, Derek Carr uh, declared his uh, everlasting love <laughs> for the Raiders <laughs> this week. Um, I was on another radio show with uh, Rodney Pete and uh, and Fred Rogan in Los Angeles, and they're like, "Are you if if he got traded or whatever happened, his contract run out? Are 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 you sitting here saying that he wouldn't play with somebody else?" I was like, I, "I'm not going to say that. I don't think Derek Carr would say that. I don't think that that's really what he meant. Uh, I think he, what he meant was this is where he wants to be, and he made that very clear. Uh, and it was based off a very specific question about what's going on uh, around the league with." Aaron Rodgers and Deshaun Watson and some other players in some other sports. But um, what did you make of what of what Derek Carr said? And and uh, are we to take it, you know, uh, at face value um, that that this is really and truly where he wants to be, and he doesn't have any eyes on anywhere else uh, around the league. This is where he wants to be. Well, I believe that. I also believe that everything Derek says, he says for a reason. Remember, this is a guy that we haven't spoken to in a public setting since the season ended. And there's yep. been times uh, when the season has ended when the quarterback, the face of the franchise, has not been made available after a season for the season-ending autopsy. So anytime he does make an appearance for the first time, anything he says is going to be amplified. And he knows that. And if there's one thing I've seen about Derek, and this doesn't make, you know, this is not negative at all, he's very calculated. So while he was also, you know, like you said, 
proclaiming his undying love for everything silver and black and, and Raider Nation and the coaches and the players and the owner and the GM. He was also torpedoing his own trade value because who, which team in their right mind would want to trade for him if it ever came to that, if he says, no, 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 I, I, it's already on the record that he's not going to come play for anybody else. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? No, absolutely not. But it was very strategic, and it was put out there, and, and it blew up. I know it, it generated millions of hits on uh, well, maybe not millions, but a lot of hits on, on ESPN.com and generated definitely a lot of interest league-wide for him to say something like that. Um, but, you know, that's how he felt at that moment and at that time. And there's a lot of other things that he said, too. And, and you know, when you talk to Derek, he'll say his message, and then he kind of keeps going. And it's like, okay, well, stay on topic, stay on target, and, you, you know, you'll get that point across. But when he went on about growing up, you know, he didn't have much. His mom was a substitute teacher. His dad sold cars. And, I don't have much. I don't need much. Well, this is coming from a guy who was 12 years old when his brother became a multimillionaire by being the number one pick in the NFL draft. And also, oh, yeah, was at one time the highest paid football player in NFL history when he signed that extension. So a lot of it is to be taken with a grain of salt. A lot of it, though, you, you kind of look behind the curtain. Aha, that's what he means. Yeah, and um, as, as you told me in a later conversation, you know, he could retire tomorrow and play golf for the rest of his life. So sure. You know, is money a motivating factor? Um, on the surface, no. But like anybody else, he wants to get paid. And that's my next question. Um, yeah. Because let's face it, and let's be honest about this. He's got two years left on his contract this year included, but none of it is guaranteed. And by today's standards, he's probably slightly underpaid. Where he is as a quarterback, where the quarterback pay um, you know, uh, level is, he falls underneath it, probably considerably so. Um, it doesn't appear the Raiders are in much of a rush uh, to change that. And right now, they're they're in a pretty good position, uh, not having to pay their quarterback thirty five million dollars like some other uh, quarterbacks are being paid. But if you were the Raiders, is that something that you're entertaining right now, or are you just waiting for this contract to run out and see where you are at that point before making a decision on that? Uh, well, to me, the interesting thing about it is it kind of goes back to last year when I know. And I had heard and was told that, that there were, you know, preliminary discussions about the extension last year. And it just kind of fell apart. It didn't happen, obviously. And I know you wrote a story in the offseason where Derek's stock was at an all-time high, so to speak. And I looked at that. And, again, I kind of, you know, you clear the, the look at the tea leaves and say, okay, well, who would want his stock to be at an all-time high? Well, Derek Carr would and his agent would and his people would. And, and you kind of go from there. From the Raider perspective, what's interesting to me is the fact that they brought Marcus Mariota back. Um, and the fact that they didn't play Marcus against the Dolphins in that game uh, at the end of the year uh, when uh, Derek suffered the strain growing, Marcus came in, uh, you know, no first-team reps or anything, and played well and should have beaten the Chargers in that game. Um, but then they, they roll with Derek again because if, if Marcus comes in and plays well again, then it's like, okay, well, we can move on and, we, and we'll play, pay a lot less and, and have more money to address other things. But this is Derek's team. Um, he's, you know, he has not been a negative influence off the field at all. There's a lot of things that are left to be desired by a lot of fans. And, and you know, I, I did an inter a thing with Kirk Morrison today, former longtime Raider, and um, I told him, I said, man, I've never seen a more polarizing figure in Raider history meaning people either love him or they despise him. There's no in-between. You know, when, when Jamarcus Russell was here, everybody pretty much fell into the same camp. When Todd Marinovich was the quarterback, he was kind of a sympathetic figure, and you saw people falling that way as well. With Derek, it's one or the other. And when he says something like that, 
you wonder how it does affect the organization. And um, I don't think that they're necessarily in a rush. But the longer they do wait, they have to know that that price tag goes up as long as he plays well, and he should, because he's got all the weapons in the world around him that he needs. The big question, and I don't even know if you've used the word excuse, but we've got to see how this offensive line plays now in front of him, because that is the unknown factor uh, that can be contribute to either his, his continued ascent or his ultimate downfall. I completely agree, and um, it, it does seem like there could be a little bit of a gamble that the Raiders are taking, because obviously they want him to play well. Obviously they want the offensive line to play well. They want to push through and, ma- and make the playoffs. Uh, and if that happens and he plays well again, like you said, the price tag uh, only uh, goes up. But I would imagine at that point, if it got to that, it's money that they would be happy to spend if they were able to break through and, and get further than they have been, get to the postseason and, and build a, a sturdier foundation here. Uh, Paul, it's always been a pleasure. It's always a pleasure, I should say, uh, talking to you. Uh, try to stay cool. I know it's hot uh, even up there in the Bay Area. Um, go, uh, go, go enjoy a cold one uh, later on tonight and, and cool down, and we're going to do the same over here. Appreciate you, brother. Sounds good, man. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out when you and I became the guys that come out and yell at kids, get off our lawns, because, uh, you know, there was a time when we were like, go do it, go do the rap albums, do everything else, and now we're like, oh, I don't know, go pull your heels. Exactly. And we're not even saying that. We're just saying, oh, you, you can right. do that, just also perform. Know what the day job is. That's all, that's all there, there, there is to it, man. Uh, thanks a lot, Paul, man. We'll talk to you down the road. All right, Benny. Take care. You too, man. Uh, that's Paul Gutierrez from ESPN. Uh, always enjoy talking to him. Always enjoy hanging out with them. Uh, we go back a long, long way, and you can follow him at P. Gutierrez ESPN. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Now, back to your host, Vinny Bonsignor. Hey, guys, I just wanted to remind you about uh, the Father's Day special, Latin Night Father's Day, uh, from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. over at um, our good friend uh, Gus's uh, Casa Amigos restaurant over at 3740 East Flamingo Road, Uh, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Casa Amigos, Latin Night. Uh, Great food. Great music, obviously, and uh, all the Embajador tequila that you can drink. Embajador tequila is teaming up um, with with uh, with Casa Amigos to put that great event on. And don't forget tonight from 9 p.m. to 3 a.m. over at Michael T's uh, Steak and Burgers here in Las Vegas. Uh, Michael T's is having Aloha Night uh, tonight, Friday night, 9 p.m. to 3 a.m. Uh, live music from 9 p.m. to midnight and then midnight to 12 midnight to 3 a.m. you've got the uh, karaoke and the live uh, Hawaiian DJ so and of course Embajador Tequila puts that together as well Um, always a great night Friday night and then on Sunday night uh, uh, over at uh, Casa Amigos at 3740 East Flamingo Road here in Las Vegas we're gonna go out to the Raider Nation listener line Mitch is in New Jersey how are you doing Mitch happy Father's Day to you and everybody out there you too, brother. Thank you. Boy, you really live in a entertainment capital, boy. We, all these places. I don't know when was the last time I went to these restaurants. Or, but anyway, it sounds like you, you can't help but have a nice time in Vegas. Oh, yeah. Cars, right. Oh, um, yes. Hey, has any uh, any new Raider taken any casino digit numbers? 
I should be where or on the twenty? Uh, no, it looks like uh, it looks like that ship has sailed. Remember uh, what we talked about was uh, right. if you were going to change your number this year, it was going to cost you a lot of money to go buy back the jerseys um, that are still in stock right now that have your current number. Okay. However, right. if you learn, I, I have a feeling you're going to start seeing t- uh, players switch to the sing- you know if they want switch to those single digit numbers starting next year um, because if you notify the league right now that you want to do the, make that switch for next year it's not going to cost you any money you don't have to go uh, buy out the remaining stock uh, it was only for this year if you ch- made the change so some of the players like you know I, I think Jalen Ramsey who is making a ho- whole bunch of money and rightfully so he's one of the best in the business he's in a better position to be able to pay pay that off plus his jerseys sell so there are probably less jerseys still left on the stock um you know when number when he, five yeah exactly so uh so yeah i i there weren't anybody that you know nothing new on that on that front for the raiders i was thinking about the rookies and i, and I saw Deshaun jackson uh number one and mm-hmm. i think anchors changed to three with the rams i know you cover all three of them but the Rays are the best um okay um want to say uh henry ruggs I think he's gonna have a big year. Um, I mean, no, I think Tim Brown's probably the best rate of all time wide receiver. Back in my mind, uh, holds me uh, correct, and also Cliff Branch. And uh, those who should be aspire. And I'm hoping Solomon Thomas. Uh, you know, is off the field. He seems like a smart guy. Um, very unfortunate. It's a, it's a problem in this country. I hope um, kind of hits home a little bit. I worry about my daughter and that department, but I want to. You know, where you down here, but I'm just saying, I think you can have a breakout year. I think um, he's still young. Uh, I know he's always going to have it on his shows and his mind, but uh, I think I hope he can be a star this year. Thanks. Well, you know, uh, and and all the best to you and your family, Mitch. Uh, you know where I'm coming from on on, on that. It's interesting that you mentioned Tim Brown um, because if you look at Tim Brown, it took him a little while to turn that corner. Uh, first year with the Raiders, he played in 16 games, started nine. 43 receptions. Uh, in 1989, I don't know if there was a strike or what, but anyway, he only played in one game, so the numbers are, are, are useless at that point. In 1990, he played in 16 games, didn't start, 18 receptions. In 1991, 16 games, one start, 36 receptions. Um, and then 1992, 15 games, 12 starts, 49 receptions. It wasn't until 1993 he went on a major major run and this was one two three four five six years into his career then he went on a 80 80 catch 1100 yard season 89 for 1300 yards 89 for 1342 90 for uh 1104 104 for 1408 81 for 1012 90 for 1344 76 for 1128 91 for 1165 81 for 930 so you know, I'm not saying that Henry Ruggs is going to turn into Tim Brown, but the whole thing about him starting a little bit slowly in his career, it's not all that unusual, um, especially with the kind of offseason that they had last year. And as Tim Brown showed, um, it took a little while. But once he got rolling, he rolled right into the Hall of Fame. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur.